Hello, and welcome to a new episode of Let Creativity Podcast. This is your host, Alicia Kayhurst. Today's guest is Daniel Hess. He describes himself as, I have lived a life of ups and downs, filmed over 5,000 weddings, written a book of poetry, and just finished scripting a feature film. Daniel bears all in this episode and talks about struggles with depression, tumultuous relationships, and all the while keeping up with his creative spark and channeling it in various ways. So please, without further ado, Daniel Hess. So welcome to the show, Daniel Hess, uh, who is both a writer and filmmaker. I'm excited to talk to you about both and, and see how your creative journey has changed with both or either one or how that how that has what well actually let me ask you what did you start with so so I actually started with the writing aspect you know that was that was kind of born ever since I was younger it was film that actually came way kind of later in life actually did anyone introduce you to writing or did you just kind of do it on your own and keep with it well you know it's funny because I'm, I'm pretty like outgoing guy with like one-on-one and I try to be pretty high-spirited but actually the majority of my writing kind of comes from like some pretty dark places so you know when I was 10 my my best friend and cousin passed away from cystic fibrosis and Mm. so that's sort of where the the name of the production company comes from is his name was Tony so it's two Tony productions um so that's sort of what started kind of my writing in the first place because it was kind of just a place for me to sort of get those really dark emotions out onto paper and sort of like not have it all kind of held in. Um, because yeah, it was like 10 years old. So it totally changed the world. Like it went from innocent kid time to like people can die. <laughs> and like, that was just, it was a lot at the time. So that's sort of the start of writing, I would say in my life. I'm glad that you had that outlet too, because I don't think a lot, uh, I mean, especially when things, something that big happens at such a young age, there, it's hard to even know what you're feeling or, or to grasp the situation, to process the situation. And for anyone that doesn't know, do you mind telling people what cystic fibrosis is and what? Yeah. So cystic fibrosis, I mean, it's, you're, you're born with it and it's sort of like, it really affects the lungs. It also kind of, I know with Tony, it like really affected his appetite. Um, he had to kind of eat a lot of saltier type of foods and, uh, you know, he was kind of a picky eater. So I can remember like my grandma used to actually kind of make a game out of like eating, we'd have to get a plate and it would be all this like healthy food. And so if you wanted to get like a little prize under a napkin, under your plate, you had to like eat all the food. Uh So like, she used to do cute stuff, but like, that's kind of how it affected him. And then of course he had to do like the, the breathing exercise. Like there's a machine he had to use to like, uh, like a breathalyzer type of thing. I don't know the word for it off the top, but, um, and then she would have to do like the therapy with like patting on his back. So there's just a lot of like phlegm that builds up in the lungs that sort Mm -hmm. of makes it like hard to breathe. And, you know, it kind of stunts your growth too. So there's just a lot of really kind of bad effects that can come out of it. Um, and he had a pretty, pretty tough case of it. I mean, he wasn't supposed to live past, I think like six or seven, but I mean, he made it to double that. So it was actually kind of fortunate. And that's the, that's the main part I usually remember from cystic fibrosis, unfortunately, is that there isn't a long lifespan usually associated Mm -hmm. because it's pretty, uh, I don't know what the word is, uh, harsh on the whole system. Yeah, exactly. So, but what a beautiful thing to create something in the name of your friend and to keep with it. Uh, so you started writing because of that event and then mm-hmm. I'm a, does it help you like emotionally as well? Yeah. So, I mean, I, it's, it's so weird. Cause like I said, like, you know, when I talk to people, I'm, I'm pretty high spirited, but you know, most of my writing is like really, really dark <laughs> because it's just, that's what it is, is like, it's usually based from like all these dark places that I've dealt with in life from either kind of loss, you know, I've had very tumultuous relationships in my life over the years uh, with different people. And so kind of all of that kind of comes out into the different stories that I try to tell, or the things that I try to write, you know, with my poetry and things like that, too. So all, all the sort of dark stuff sort of comes out on the page. 
and it's 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 um I like that you're talking about this too because I think um with some people it's like some aspects can only be communicated through a certain media it seems like it's like Mm -hmm. I know for myself sometimes that I cannot I feel like I can't express something um except through words like music won't do it painting won't do it talking to people won't do it like it's it's like I have to get this out through writing and other times it's like I have to do it through painting it's it's very interesting and I don't know like what the formula is but for you it seems (laughs) the darker heavier stuff it's like writing is is its avenue it's its way out yeah that's sort of you know that's sort of where where it kind of comes to I mean because you know, with recently like putting out the book of poetry, I, I get this feedback from people. It's just like, holy crap, man. Like you're talking about some like dark, dark stuff. Like, I don't know if I'd feel comfortable putting this out there for people. And like, my response is always just kind of like, I mean, I guess like, I just, I just kind of wrote it. And I was like, you know, if people, if people like it, cool. I, you know, I've gotten both sides of the fence. I've gotten people that say, this is great. I love it. And then I've gotten people that are like, you're just like a big old crybaby. Like I've gotten some pretty nasty, you know, comments on on both. Wow. Yeah. The the first week. Oh, I was going to say the first week I put it out within a couple of days, I'm pretty sure it was, you know, I don't want to put names to to who said it, but I'd gotten a nasty sort of private DM from someone that was just like, you know, this, all you're doing is like bitching about your life. Uh, You should totally go gay you're never going to get laid again. Like just very, you know, troll kind of heavy, nasty stuff that they had said. Uh, and that was like three days after I put out the book. So I was just like, and that was literally the first feedback I'd gotten from the book on top of everything else too. My <laughs> gosh, but yeah. it sounds like there was a, a happy and well, it's not even an ending yet because you said you, it's gotten picked up by a few bookstores, right? Yeah. I think we're up to about seven bookstores right now that it's gotten picked up by. Congratulations. I don't want to, I'm not trying to ignore what you just said. I'm coming back to it, but no, I do want to exactly. make people, people aware, like, um, cause I've heard, I've heard this a lot too, from people who put stuff out to mm-hmm. a large audience is that they get some really nasty feedback. And I still, I guess I'm still, I, I don't know if I'll ever stop being surprised. Um, it's, it's, what do you think about it? Like, what do you think motivates people, someone to do that? Well, I think, you know, with my book from personal experience, I mean, there's a lot of stuff about my relationships over the years. So I think some of that was kind of loaded from that sort of stuff. Um, But I think people just have this tendency that like, you know, because again, the weird thing was a lot of the feedback from the book outside of that was people reaching out saying, oh, this is so cool that you published a book. You know what? I'm thinking about publishing a book. Can we like talk about that? Mm -hmm. And it's just like, yeah, I'm, I'm a helpful person. I will always say yes to stuff like that. But when you, somebody does that, it's like, it's kind of crappy to, for your first reaction to be like, you know what, I'm trying to do exactly that. I want to figure out how to do it. And then nine times out of 10, unfortunately, those people will get that info and then they'll sort of stop talking to you after that. Oh, I see. Kind of like using you just for the information, not mm-hmm. wanting to build a relationship. Um so those are two really important uh, points to bring out too, I think, because there's a vulnerability to when you create, when you make your own creation, and then you decide to put it out and share it with the world, which I would really, I mean, I think I'm, I'm all for people to do that because uh, uh, there's so many unique voices and perspectives that people can, like you were saying, for some people are like, oh, I really, you know, I connected to that. Um, but for the people... Um, for the person that uh, said that, like really harsh. I mean, I would say that's verbal abuse. Honestly, that's that's yeah, that's abuse. <laughs> that's, I, yeah, I would like, agree. I would agree. That's I don't want to sugarcoat it. Um, for someone to do that, they have to be in a really bad place themselves. I think uh, mm-hmm. to, just to even be like, oh, this is a good idea. Like, <laughs> let, me, <laughs> let me write this to this person in this uh-huh. way. Um, which is not making an excuse for them, but it's, I think it's more of a reflection of them more than it is at, at all of your work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes I think it's even like, a, it can be a motivator because it's, sometimes it's like, oh, if, you know, if, if you're scaring people like, oh, there's some powerful stuff that's being said there. Yeah. 
And, you know, I guess the, the happy medium to all of it is, you know, the day after it happened, I sort of, you know, I posted about it in a very positive light where I was just like, look, feedback is feedback. I know people will look at this and say, this guy is doing that, like this verbal abuse. But you know what, if you want to come at me and kind of say that kind of stuff, it's whatever, feel free. Like, I'm, I'm okay with that. I have thick skin with that sort of thing. And, you know, like just putting up that message on Facebook that post got like 200 comments and I sold 10 copies of the book in that single day, Very nice. <laughs> so, yeah. which I never, I wasn't going into expecting that. I wasn't like, Hey, this is going to sell books. I was just like, Hey, this person kind of said this and you know what? It's cool. You can act however you want, but you know, feedback is both sides of the story here. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of the, the, I guess the happy ending to the, to that kind of crazy incident. <laughs> Yeah, and what a high-minded way to look at things, too. It's almost like seeing the bigger picture rather than, I mean, I'm sure, it, did it hurt? <laughs> I don't like to, to do it at first. I mean, when he said it, like, I responded as quickly as I could, and I just said, like, I appreciate your feedback, and I was willing to keep the conversation going, but after he sent that message, he, like, instantly blocked me. So, like, that was that was all I could say. But that's what I said. I was just like, you know, thanks for the feedback, man. Like, and, and, you know, I post all the time, like I've gotten some like lower reviews on the book on Amazon and I post about it too. And I say, you know, you can't have a five star without having a one star or a two star, you know, and yeah. we should be able to talk about that kind of stuff. I, think, I love it. Yeah. I think people just, just freak out over bad reviews or, you know, but it's like you said, art is like completely subjective and not everything we create is going to be for every person. And I think a lot of people struggle with that. Um, but you just kind of have to take it as it goes. Like I've never sit there and say everything I do is ever going to be perfect. And I welcome people who like, don't like it because that makes me think more about what I'm doing and how I can do it better. Right. Yeah. But I think there is a distinction between abuse and constructive feedback. Yes. <laughs> I will totally agree with that completely. That was, that was definitely the, the more abusive side of things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, good constructive criticism is always much more welcome than right. Uh, but they're not attacking. the same thing. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> but uh, I love that you're because you seem like you're all about transparency. It's like, like this is what happened. This is what mm -hmm. you know. This is where I was going with it. But I want to know. So at what point? So you started your, you started writing, and then were there supports throughout your life for it? Were there uh, struggles, or how was your like environment for you? Well, so it wasn't very conducive to the writing, honestly, like I come from a very small community, uh, kind of more of a blue collar style community. So, you know, no one in my immediate family is an artist in any way, shape or form. So, you know, me kind of writing is was foreign to everyone, um, mm -hmm. to the fact that to, so far that like, going into college, you know, I was originally supposed to go for pharmacology, of all things. Wow. And, it's very and that different. was just... <laughs> exactly. And that was like a, a lot of influence from, you know, my parents who were, you know, wanting me to get like a steady career and have a good paying job and all that. Um, but like that summer before I went into college, I was just writing a lot. And, you know, I had a friend who was really into film and he was actually going into a film program. So I was just like, you know, I saw where writing was there, but I didn't mm -hmm. know what the avenue of that would be. And I saw, but I saw film as more, there's more openings possibly through like studying film and getting jobs and videography and stuff like that. So I took that avenue because I knew I could still do the writing part of it, but I could also have like the visual element, which would be kind of like a two hit punch rather than just a one punch, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so that's sort of what got me into film in the first place. So that really wasn't until, you know, I was like 18 you know, whereas writing kind of started when I was like 10. So there's a big gap between like when film really kind of purposefully entered into my life in that way. Right. Which is interesting. So it sounds you naturally just found writing and then it wasn't until college years you found video. So can you tell me a little bit about, cause I actually don't, I don't think I know anybody who in my personal sphere who studied um, video videography what mm -hmm. um what sort of things or classes do you have so you know you have your kind of like there's like an editing class uh you have kind of your directing class there's like electives that you could take for different 
like styles of film. Like I took like a French new wave class, which was kind of like one of my favorites from college. Um, so yeah, it's just different kind of like disciplines in the film world where you're kind of learning like how to shoot, how to edit, you know, a little bit about the history of film. So you're just kind of getting, you know, as many different kind of disciplines as you can. Uh, and then once you're finished, they, they plop you out in the world. And you have no idea what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> so you kind of have to find your own avenue for what you want to focus on after that, after learning kind of the general skills. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I mean, I made some connections through college and everything. But I mean, when I got out, I had I had no idea. Um, and I got my first kind of gig out of it because I interned with, of all things, I had a, so audio, we had to do audio in film school too. And my audio professor actually ran a hip hop studio. <laughs> and so <laughs> I randomly reached out after class. And at that time I will be transparent in that me and my friend thought we were going to be some kind of uh, rap stars. And <laughs> Very cool. I was just like, Hey man, I know you got the studio. I'd love to like, check it out. And next thing you knew, I was just, I was interning basically just hanging out on Friday nights and filming at the studio. Um, but after college wrapped up, I went to him and I was like, look, I have like no idea where I'm going, what I'm doing. And he was like, well, I have this friend of a friend who's might have an opening. Here's his number, give him a call. And you know, this is 2012. So the economy was still kind of crappy at that point. Um, and luckily he was like, yeah, you know, I had an editor leave. So I'm kind of looking for somebody to fill some gaps and uh, I've started working with him and, you know, he did corporate video and, you know, to this day, I, I still get gigs with the guy and I still work with him. Um, but that was how I got like any sense of footing out of college was just literally because I, you know, talked to that guy one time, interned with him. And then he ended up knowing somebody that knew somebody that was leaving at the perfect moment huh. and it all sort of lined up. <laughs> so networking, super important. <laughs> yes, that's, that's the moral of that story. <laughs> Just keep talking to people. Right. You just never know. I'm, I'm now I'm super curious. Do you have like old rap songs that you did? Like, <laughs> so I think it's, I think there's still a YouTube video out there when, no uh, when, when Chameleon Air of all people put out this thing that was like, he wanted people to do like a rap thing for YouTube. And my friend did one and I did one. And I, I'm, it's probably still up and it's horrible. It is so bad. I'm like, you know, cause I was, I was actually chunky. I like lost a ton of weight after I got done college. I'm like a little chunky boy, you know, sitting in front of his computer with like a crappy webcam trying to rap to some beat. And Aww. it was, it was pretty, pretty awful stuff. <laughs> but I love the fact that you just kind of were, you were trying it out. You weren't, you, you didn't stop yourself and be like, am I going to be good? Like, <laughs> who, you know, you just did it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just kind of went for broke. And then uh, we ended up not getting anything in that contest. And uh, that was that was the short term of my uh, ill-fated <laughs> rap career. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, um, mm -hmm. And then so you said you went into uh, event slash wedding. Is that what your first gig was? Are they so, called gigs? Yeah. So essentially, uh, again, fell into the wedding world by accident. Uh, I, a guy reached out to me from Craigslist of all places and was a wedding photographer and said, Hey, I, I saw your like listing on Craigslist that you were offering wedding services. I'm looking for a guy to do videos with me. Uh, how's about like, I pay you like a thousand bucks each wedding you do with me and, and, you know, edit it and all that stuff. And I was just like, I just moved out from my parents' house. Uh, and, you know, rent became a thing all of a sudden. So right. I was like, thousand bucks, a wedding gig sounds pretty good to me. So I jumped into it. And uh, at first it was cool because, you know, you, you go into these events, people are getting married. You know, I was with my like long-term girlfriend who was my high school sweetheart at the time. And she mm. was coming out and helping and it was all great. Uh, you know, you get free food and people partying. Uh, but, you know, after a couple like about a year of that uh you know i ended up me and my ex now split up and it was pretty rough breakup so mm -hmm. all of a sudden weddings went from fun partner time to depressed i don't have anybody in my life i'm watching people get married every week 
and uh, it's the same thing happening over and over again. So it starts to kind of feel like, for lack of a better word, either like a hell or purgatory type situation there. I can only um, imagine, my gosh. <laughs> and for whatever reason, you know, because of that breakup too, I was, I actually doubled down and actually built the business further into the wedding world. And, you know, I built it pretty good. I was making about 100K a year off of weddings. Like, nice. it was, it was pretty crazy. Uh, but all the while, just like I was depressed and I wasn't an alcoholic, but I was drinking a lot more than I ever had in my life, uh, just blowing money. Like I can remember, you know, I went, me and my friend went to Tennessee one time and I think I spent like $800 on a single night. We went to this bowling place in like Nashville and got drinks all night. $800 in bowling? <laughs> yeah, it was like, <laughs> you like paid you by like the-, the hour and we like. <laughs> We like stayed there forever and we got all these, I got every fancy cocktail off the menu. I was just like, fuck it. <laughs> so, so yeah, so that was sort of my life for a while. Um, and then, you know, I got to about 27. Um, and the thing that was my wake up call was, you know, I, I was actually born with a, a birth defect in my heart. Uh, it's called aortic valve stenosis, which means the blood actually pumps back into the heart when it shouldn't through that valve. So once a year I get an echocardiogram and, uh, it had been like a year gap between my last one and I just switched doctors and everything. And the doctor is just like, yeah, you're going to need to get like heart surgery in a couple years, dude. And i went from my previous doctor who was just like, yeah, it looks fine. Like you might have to get surgery when you're like 50. It's cool to like, yeah, heart surgery is going to be a thing in the next couple of years for you. Wow. Um, scared the crap out of me. I was just like, you know, when I get this done, I know it's not a big heart surgery, but it's still heart surgery. And so it kind of like made me think about like, well, what am I doing like with my life right now? Um, And so I was just like, I've got to just get back into the creative stuff and just make this happen again. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I shied away from it for so long, all those years I was doing weddings, I just totally stepped away from it. So, you know, finally, in like 2018, I kind of made the, the choice to get into it. And self-produced like my my first kind of film in like five or six years uh put way too much money into it and ended up not really going anywhere but it was like my first step back into the world and uh very glad that I did that and it's it sounds like the I don't know if the fear of death is the right word to put it but no that is (laughs) it seems like I mean, those are two times in your life that really like made you, I mean, that's, you first created something from your friend dying and then you created another thing after your own fear of dying. Mm-hmm. Um, so death can be, I mean, I, I, I just was talking to this about someone yet, yet yesterday that death is, um, I mean, it's a huge loss for a lot of people, but it can also be a huge transform, transformator. yeah exactly no exactly it was it was just you know that was that was the moment where I was just like you know I I could be okay in five years when I have to get this done or I could be dead on the operating table you don't know so Mm -hmm. I just thought like I have to at least like leave something behind you know and so you know at this point you know it might be too much that I'm doing I mean I'm, I'm pulling myself at all kinds of different angles at this point in my life So if anything, I might be on another extreme of it, but, you know, I just feel like that's kind of what I have to do right now to sort of make as much stuff as I can, you know, just in case, because you never know. (laughs) Yeah. And then, so you said, so the first thing that you, the, um, when you stopped weddings and you went in and started your own company, was that another company, um, besides So Two Tony was always, I started that in like 2009 and it just sort of turned into like a wedding company for a while. Um, Yeah. And it was, you know, it was cool for a little bit, but then, you know, it started just becoming like, that was it. Like people would just say like, oh, that's the wedding guy. Um, I mean, I even had a friend that like worked on my senior thesis film who reached out and was like, hey, what are you doing now? Because we hadn't talked for a while. And I told her about the weddings and she was like, oh, that's, that's a shame. You're actually really talented. Like, I feel bad that you're doing that. And I was like, (laughs) I I appreciate that you're honest. It's kind of stings, but like, I get what you mean. And then, and that was another thing that always kind of weighed heavy on me. It was just like, you know what? She, she's actually kind of right. Like I shouldn't be wasting so much of my like 
youth and, and talent on like just filming the weddings the same exact way because there is no artistic merit to like what I was doing I mean you can make really nice uh, like artistic wedding style video but like I was so burnt out that I was just as about as cookie cutter as you could get yeah. and I was actually starting to feel bad for the couples because I'm like I know you could get something better than what I'm getting <laughs> Like, let's be real. <laughs> and that's a good flag for you to stop. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's like, when that exactly. is, that's a great description of burnout when you're like at that <laughs> point where you're like, I'm just going through the motions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, and then you said you put a lot of money into this new, so what was the focus of, of the, uh, of the new two Tony production? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I doubled down, I had just kind of a bare bones concept for like a film. And I really thought to myself, like, okay, I want to try to make this a whole like feature film. And so I ended up kind of, you know, sinking about like 10 grand into this project. Um, But I had no like, that was the thing is like, I went into it with no pre production, no anything. And I just made it spent all this money. And then I didn't have a clue as to like where to take it, you know, um, And so when I got done with it, like it didn't really get the initial like reaction I was hoping for. And then I like cut it down to like a short film. And then even that, like, you know, it got into some festivals, but, you know, kind of the most like disheartening moment was just, yeah, I put it in like the Maryland Film Festival, the local one we have, and they denied it. And I was just like, well, you know, if my hometown doesn't even want to like sit down with this thing, then like that, that doesn't feel very good. Uh, so I sort of like, you know, chucked it up as a loss and said, you know, this was a good learning experience. And, you know, I just left it at that, you know, cause I just knew it kind of like it ran its course and it did what it needed to do for me, which was the, the whole motivation piece. Mm-hmm. And I like that you bring that up too, because sometimes when you're transitioning from one thing to another, there's a, there's usually an in-between project or an in-between in between years I mean it, it mm-hmm. I think it varies for a lot of people because it is it's even a lot of times when you know that you want to transition to like even a certain topic or a certain field that might be totally different from what you're doing you can um you may not even know about like a, a certain niche or <laughs> yeah. until until you put your foot out there and and just try things so um I love that also that you are okay with uh, things not working out. I mean, I know that it's a bummer (laughs) and you put all this energy and effort and money into things and it's like, ah, but it's like, oh, I'll just try again. Like, cause you've got, it sounds like you're pretty confident that you can create something else. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I mean, like, you know, before we, we started chatting today, I mean, I was mentioning, I had like the pitch meetings and stuff and, you know, I had three producers and the, the one in the middle was just basically like, you know, the film I wrote is, is kind of a mix between a drama and a thriller. And he was just like, Hey man, I'm not trying to bust your balls, but like, you're kind of in between two genres. And he's like, you know, what we're looking for is one or the other. We really don't want that in between thing. And he was just like, you know, so I think you need to sit down with yourself and say, do you want this to be a drama or do you want this to be a thriller? Mm-hmm. Um, and I told him straight up because he was just like, he was kind of sugarcoating it. And I was like, don't sugarcoat it, man. Like I, I told myself from the start, this, the film that I wrote this past year was another like cathartic piece for me. And if it gets picked up, cool. But if it's one of those things where, you know, it just doesn't go anywhere, then I write a next script and a more focused script and, you know, try that next. So that's just how you have to be like, you got to like be able to have your babies, so to speak, but you also have to be able to recognize like, you know, when it's kind of for lack of a better word, maybe the ugly duck duckling of the bunch and uh, (laughs) be able to kind of move on from it. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And I, well, that's a great analogy too, because there are some that, you know, will never blossom into a beautiful swan, but some you like it's years. And then you look back at it with a fresh perspective and it's just like, oh, this is, I can definitely do something with this. Mm-hmm. Um, but you just don't know, I guess. Is yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, like, I, I think it's so important. And I think like a lot of filmmakers, they just, have this idea and then they go make it themselves after that experience of making that film myself and putting all that money onto it I realized that like you need producers and you need people that you can sell it to because that's how you know you have something because it's one thing to tell yourself like oh this is great I love this but it's another thing to like convince somebody else to to invest in it 
and to take it seriously because those are the people that are going to be able to kind of hold you back from certain things. And it's usually to the betterment of things because like we're, you know, we're looking at it from our eyes. You know, it's just like, I think about like every time Steven Spielberg sits down to one of his films, he watches that film completely different than you or I watch that film because he's seeing everything. Maybe he didn't do right, or maybe he wanted to do better. It's just, but that's how you have to like go about it from every step of the process. So, you know, I think you need to have those kind of like layers of uh, gatekeeping between things, because if not, like you'll end up with like what I did, which is just like, you got a $10,000 film that you made that's sort of like all over the place. And, you know, on your mind, you know, every kind of artistic thing that you were doing, mm-hmm. but when you're trying to convince that to an audience or convey it to an audience, if you're not doing it right, then they're totally lost. And that's what happened. <laughs> you know, they just, they didn't get the film. <laughs> Right. And that's such a, I think that's a great and an important um, uh, topic to bring up is collaboration. When do you need it? When do you don't? Um, Mm -hmm. uh, When, for you, if you had to go back, was there like a, like a kind of like a, what do I want to say? I guess triggers the word that I'm coming up with, but was there like a a point where you could have, where you felt like maybe you were your instincts were telling you one thing, like maybe I should talk to other people about this, but you're like, no, no, no. Like you kind of shrugged it off. Um, I mean, I, I, there was like some writing on the walls, like, especially with that project from a few people, like, especially that guy I do a lot of corporate work with, he was kind of just like, you know, like, uh, he was kind of like not saying to find somebody to produce it, but you know, he was kind of like, you know, maybe you should think about this or that before you start putting all this money into it. And I just was like, I didn't want to hear any of it, you know, cause that's just what happens in life. I feel like, you mm-hmm. know, at every, every age range, you kind of think you got it figured out, but you really don't, you know, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and you just, you just got to go through the trials. <laughs> so there's, there's like a million instances over the last like 10 years, I could tell you where I was just like, I wish I would have done that. I wish I would have done that. But you know, at the time you're, you're making the best decisions you think you can or that you think you are. Uh, and sometimes it works out and sometimes it just doesn't. <laughs> uh, and then, so after that, you, did you go back to writing or are they kind of like parallel now? Like you're doing both. Well, so yeah, so I'm now at this point, I'm kind of doing both, uh, you know, cause right now I'm like working on a novel in my, as much time as I can get, but then I'm also, you know, trying to get this film produced and just seeing like what I can learn from this whole experience from it. Um, And then on top of all that, I've even started doing like uh, review writing for like super indie, like short film, like people. Yeah. Yeah, Like through that experience of that first film, I realized that like most creatives, because they're so independent, they don't really have a place to send this film or get feedback. So I sort of put it out there in a Facebook group I'm in and I got like 30 films sent to me within a night I like literally had to shut the post down because I was just like this is too much guys geez it was um but it's been amazing like the most part I mean there's a couple people that hate when I write a bad review and have actually kind of been like don't even post this like I know I did better than that like just very headstrong people but for the most part it's people like they love it because they're like I you know there's nobody else in my life that really can give me this kind of honest feedback so I really appreciate it and I always tell them like, hit me up, you know, let's, I can talk about it to you from the little bit that I know and stuff like that. So I think it's, it's valuable to like, A, have another avenue to like kind of have your film marketing wise in a place, but then also to have like a voice that can actually give you like some honest opinions, you know, because you just don't know. Right. And you've got the education behind it and the experience behind your opinions and criticism or critiques, I should say. So I, I, that's a great idea. I love that you're offering that now. And it sounds like people are really uh, receptive. <laughs> yeah. So I think so far I'm up to like 85 posts that I've done or something like that. It's wow. been a lot, but it's been, it's been really cool. Like it's just, I get to see films from all over the world and just kind of give my crappy feedback and I always tell people like I'm not a god take it with a grain of salt you know that's always what my professors used to say it's just like this is just my opinion some of the things you'll agree with some you'll disagree with but I'm just throwing it out there you know (laughs) that's what no that's really wonderful though um and then so 
you also mentioned that you you just I don't know if you just published but the just a boy blaming himself the poetry mm -hmm. when did you publish that so I published that about late January of this year so, okay so pretty recently yeah which I mean that was a whole like I never expected to I mean, cause I've just been collecting, you know, I just take my phone out when I get a little bit of inspiration and just write on like a little notepad app. And I just have been doing that for the last like five years. Hmm. So I was just like, man, I got like all these poems and, you know, I would share them with people and I get like pretty good feedback from everyone. That's like, man, this is actually like good stuff. Maybe do something with it. And so, you know, with everything going on with the world last year, I was just like, maybe I should. So I compiled it all, edited it. I found an editor and then found somebody also that can do all the formatting for paperback and Kindle and all that stuff and uh, put it all together. And then again, had no idea on like the marketing side of it. I just put it on Amazon one day and kind of made the announcement on Facebook and was just like, Hey, I got a book. And <laughs> you know, so, I mean, it's, you know, it's not like selling like hotcakes or anything like that, but it's been cool to see, you know, the reports come in and selling a few copies here and there every so often. So it's been fun. And then, you know, getting it into the bookstores has just been another thing I never thought would happen, but here we are like seven bookstores later. So it's happening. <laughs> Which is a part of the, I think is one of the most beautiful part of the creative process is when you do put something out and you're not completely worried about what it what the end is going to look like usually mm -hmm. you're you're pleasantly surprised at what happens at the connections that are made or the expansiveness of your project that you put out um the the feedback that you get but also could you tell us a little bit about what that's about what the poet with the just a boy blaming blaming himself is about yeah, so basically it's just kind of musings on life on kind of different events I've been through, um, you know, doing like the wedding stuff over the years. So there's been, I mean, there's literally moments where I'd actually like, you know, I don't tell the bride and groom this, but like I was kind of at the wedding and I'd be like writing a little poem because I'd be like kind of depressed in the corner a little bit. So stuff like that uh, would kind of come out. And so, yeah, it just turned into that. I mean, again, like all the kind of relationships that I've had through the years, because, you know, I, I kind of had two longer term relationship, one was seven years, the other was two years. And mm -hmm. in between those, and even after those, uh, you know, there's a lot of just, there's, there's the dating apps, so I'll be transparent about that, you know, and uh, you meet a lot of different people, and a lot of different types. I and, like uh, different. <laughs> oh, I can. <laughs> I could tell you some stories, um, but it's, so there's a little bit of that sprinkled in there too. Um, and then, you know, dealing with like loss through life and everything. Um, so there, there's all those things sort of peppered in and it's all kind of sprinkled through different like chapters. So there's like a chapter on love, on death, on sex. So like all these different sort of topics that I've kind of dealt with in my life. And does the title come from something that's kind of that I mean, is it self-explaining? Like, do you blame yourself a lot? Yeah, I'd say that's the kind of the, the gist of it is really just feeling like, uh, you know, uh, being 30 and like not really having a significant other. There's like a lot of thought of just like, is it me? Is it the world? Like what's going on here? Um, and just feeling like some of the decisions I've made are just like poor choices for things like losing friend groups over the years and stuff like that. So there's just like, when you get to this kind of like isolating point, you know, I know I'm kind of more of a like introvert in a lot of ways, but at the same time, it's just like, man, like, you know, I can go, sometimes there'll be like days where I don't get a message from literally anybody except for like maybe a client or like someone trying to get me to go out for a gig, uh, you know? So it's like, what, what's going on? What, what am I doing? <laughs> so yeah, that, that blaming of the self sort of like comes out through all of those kind of moments. And I think that's uh, amazing that you're doing that and that you put that out because I know you're not the only one that does that. You, mm -hmm. <laughs> and I bet that's, uh, I mean, I haven't read any of your feedback, but I bet that's part of the feedback that you're getting is the, from people saying, yep, I know exactly what you're going through. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, yeah, I've, I've had a lot of people that are like, I don't read poetry usually, but like, man, this, this, this poetry is like, I get it, you know, like, they're like, I read it and I see it. And it's like, I've been there. So yeah, it has been fascinating to sort of like, realize that because yeah, I think when you're in those moments, you feel like this is it like I'm, I'm the only one going through this, but 
It's so not true. <laughs> right. And then to blame yourself too, that aspect I think is somehow interwoven between all genders and races throughout America, at least for some reason, I don't know where we pick it up or <laughs> it's um, something. <laughs> but something blaming yourself water. is something, something you have to do uh, uh, because we need that extra weight. Um, <laughs> exactly. It's already not enough. <laughs> <laughs> right. I bet there's people out there who blame themselves for COVID for some reason, like somehow. Probably. <laughs> I shouldn't have went to that birthday party. It's all my fault. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how do you, uh, it sounds like you get through that though, through writing and through the creativity. Are there any other ways that have helped you? Yeah. So, I mean, I try to stay pretty like physically active. So, you know, this, I'm, I'm a summer boy through and through. So like mm -hmm. when it's summertime, like that's my time. Cause I'm just outside on my bike as much as I can. Uh, I play basketball with like an old high school friend as much as we can. So I just try to like stay outside and get outside and just, you know, and every day, even through the winter and stuff, I'm doing like, you know, just normal house exercise stuff like crunches and push ups and all that. So I just try to stay, you know, active in that regard. Um, and then just, you know, watching films and uh, you know, now I'm kind of, I'm in a master's program for film studies. So like that's been, a good outlet because it just keeps like my mind focused and it keeps me busy. Um, so all those things sort of help out with that. Very cool. And I like, I, I'm betting the exercise helps you get out of your brain when you need to get out of your brain. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's just time for the, the music to blast and you just kind of like let it all kind of fade away for a little bit. <laughs> uh, the Oh, and is there anything else that you're doing? I, I feel like I'm missing something. <laughs> Um, I mean, you've, not that you need to be. I, just... <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, so I freelance with a couple of different companies as like, you know, the, the day job sort of stuff. Um, so I'm doing that. And then, you know, just like I said, trying to make the film happen, writing the novel and then, you know, marketing the book that's currently out right now. So, yeah, it's it's a lot of things to sort of split my time between the day. But I've just somehow I found this like weird balance where I'm just like, all right, this is like book marketing time or, okay, this is mm. like a movie review time or, you know, this is okay. This is day job stuff time. So right. it, it's all somehow interwoven. I don't even know. There's, <laughs> I couldn't even tell you how it's done, but it's just it's, the day just goes by and it's done. <laughs> so am I correct after listening to that? You've never had like a nine to five job. Uh, well, no, I, so, I mean, not really ever a nine to five. I mean, I worked in like a kitchen when I was in high school and college uh, as like a dishwasher. Um, and then I worked for a few months at actually the National Aquarium of Baltimore taking souvenir oh. photos, uh, crappy, crappy souvenir photos. And uh, I worked at uh, Ripken Stadium, which is like a, a little league baseball stadium. That's oh, actually, cool. that's close. That's Aberdeen. So close to Bel Air. Yeah. Um, and so I did that for a couple months. So that was the closest I ever really came to like nine to five, so to speak. But yeah, I've always just been either through my own company or freelancing all these years. I'm curious if someone said, you know, or if someone said you have to work a nine to five or I don't even know, let's say, actually, let's take that half to, let's just say you were put in a nine to five mm -hmm. job. How do you think you would feel as compared to freelancing and being able to kind of just choose well, it's funny because I'm actually at that kind of a crossroads right now. Oh. One, one of the places I work with, it's there's, I mean, I sort of hinted at it a little bit, but it's been brought up a lot of just like moving me into like a full-time type of thing. And uh, yeah, I mean, we had, we had a conversation about it and he was just like, yeah, you know, I'd want you here, you know, pretty much that like nine, nine to four basically. And uh, it was like really weird because I was like, I thought I would just maybe ready for that, but I don't know if I can do it because <laughs> it's just been, I mean, I've been all over the place, you know, mm -hmm. I, it's, it's been so much work and every time I'm working somewhere, it's at a different area and I've met so many different personality types and everything. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm doing like the master's program. Cause I'd like to like teach at a university with film studies, but even that I'm just like, 
I feel like I'm just like this wild horse out in the field. Am I ever going to want to come in and, you know, settle it down? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you don't have to, then why, you know, but it's, I think, but I think what you just said actually kind of zones in on, on the the important part. It's really up to you. Mm -hmm. I, and I'm saying that because I think a lot of people feel like there's nothing, you know, well, if they don't have a nine to five, because it can be scary to some people to not have that structure set in place by a company. Whereas um, I think I hear a lot of people who have similar schedules and um, who are their own boss pretty much or the entrepreneurs, they're like, they would never go back to a nine to five <laughs> after yeah. they experience what they experience. Exactly. And it's like, as long as I feel like the trap a lot of people fall into is like, they call themselves like freelancers or whatever, but like most of their day is kind of spent, like, let's be real, like on the couch, you know, just chilling out. Um, So like, you have to keep yourself like motivated. And I mean, I, you know, I struggle with like depression and stuff like that. So there's definitely days where like, you know, I don't feel like doing anything. Um, But I've found that just through like, you have to give yourself like differing positive outlets and like, the more you can kind of do that, the more it, it becomes easier to kind of stay motivated. So mm-hmm. like, you know, now that I've started doing these reviews, it's just been like an amazing positive outlet for me. Cause I feel like people are respecting the writing. Like I've never gotten feedback for before. And I'm also able to like help and be a, like creating a sense of community at the same time. Um, so I feel like that's, that's the difference is just like, you have to kind of like corral yourself in a way, you know, just because you're not doing a nine to five doesn't mean you're not working like, you know, those same hours. It just means you're kind of like having to do it for yourself and having to keep yourself working that whole time or else you are just going to kind of end up a to mope on the couch. And I mean, like I said, I've had days where I'm just like, I, I cocoon it, I get the blanket and I'm just cocooned in the blanket all day. <laughs> so even even with the like extreme kind of like workaholicness I can have like I still fall into that trap so it's not that you have to do it all the time but at least keep yourself going in a semi-steady pace yeah uh because you're still it's still it's like you're because no one's gonna make you accountable except for you <laughs> mm-hmm. exactly uh, well if you don't mind I'd love to go over the answers that you had for the creativity questions yeah uh so i asked you what is creativity and you said creativity is that crazy series of flashing lights in your brain that all fire in cacophonous splendor (laughs) and Mm -hmm. i really appreciate the opportunity to use that word because i don't think i've ever used it (laughs) (laughs) exactly (laughs) it's it is it's it's that it's that huge cacophony of just noises and things and it's just this weird like everything is just flashing around and then it's just like you just have to start like either writing or just making something um and that's usually like especially for poetry that's like i'll be like listening to a song for instance and then all of a sudden it's just like everything starts firing off in my head and i'll just immediately have to like grab my phone and then it's just like line after line of stuff and you know i go into it it's weird one of i never i don't think i've ever talked about it too much before but of all people, uh, I don't. Are you familiar with like Panic at the Disco? Yeah, yeah. So, of all people, one of my influences with the way I write the poetry is Brendan Urie because oh. I there's I know there's a Panic at the Disco song where he literally like says something about like the something about the words not making sense or whatever, <laughs> and I can remember my friend really pointing that out and being like, "Yeah, that doesn't make that much sense. Like that line doesn't really connect with that line." And I, and I would say to him, but it doesn't, but like, it sounds cool or like, it sounds really pretty. And Mm -hmm. that's, that was like how I started kind of approaching the poetry is just like, some of these things don't really have to be that genuinely connected, but as long as I'm like making a case for it, it Mm -hmm. can still work. So like, it's weird that like something like that, like a panic at the disco song would be like, every time I think about my writing, I'm like, this doesn't make any sense, but I'm like, you know what? panic at disco doesn't make any sense either it's all good (laughs) it's like validation but no i like that's a that's a really interesting concept too is well because i know i've read poetry before that was just too matchy matchy it was just like there wasn't Mm -hmm. any like grit i guess for lack of a better word and then 
Um, and then there's like poetry that's kind of musical. So there's like, it's not rhyming, but there's a tempo to it that it keeps to. Yeah, it's like that spoken word type of stuff. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And then, so what what kind of poetry would you say yours is? So I think it's just more, it's, it's not really the spoken word style. I think it's that more sort of like, it's gritty and like more grounded. Um, you know, and again, another inspiration for that was when I was in college, I took creative writing and we read a poem by this girl who just her poem was about the first time she lost her virginity in the back of a Volkswagen bus. Ooh. And I was just like, you can write a poem about that kind of stuff. Like, that's crazy. And so like, that was, again, another source of like, man, you can you can write some like dark stuff with poetry. And it doesn't have to be that like sort of wishy washy ish type of thing. And again, that was another factor that sort of like made me feel a little more confident about like, what I was writing, because a lot of times I would tell myself, you know, I, I would write something and I'd be like, well, that's not really poetry. You know, mm. you'd sort of tell yourself that. But like, after that experience, I was like, no, it, it actually kind of is. So it really helped me to like, start taking what I was putting down on paper a little bit more seriously than before. Very nice. It's like, it's like moving past your own barriers, your own thought barriers, which can be mm-hmm. super thick for some people. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> What do you love about creativity? You said creativity and being creative drive me constantly. The pursuit to achieving complete creative freedom in both a financial and artistic stance pushed me to work my absolute hardest. Um, so I guess I was wondering for that one. Uh, mm-hmm. So, cause you've mentioned like, you know, you're, you're thinking all the time when in this, in this, do you find like, do you need stillness at all to help you kind of put together all that creative drive? I, I actually feel like I need anti stillness in my life. Like when I'm still like, that's what, that's what kind of like right now in my life, especially like really kind of terrifies me about like a relationship with somebody, especially because I think about like all those times I've had in past relationships. And it's like, there is a lot of time where you're just kind of sitting with each other and absorbing things or talking and stuff like that. And I'm like, that's the stuff that always kind of like brings out my anxiety, brings out the depression. I don't know why. It just like when my brain is allowed to just kind of like reflect back on things, something always inevitably goes to like some weird place. And I just like find myself kind of feeling really low and like more introverted. So I find that like constantly having all these layers of things like moving about me is like, it's this like beautiful, like wash of everything where it just kind of like, it pushes me to, to just keep going and also just like keep thinking because it's just, you know, there's always something else to kind of move on to. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's weird. Cause like, I know a lot of people would just say, I need like absolute, like you know, complete calmness. I need to be in like nature or something like that to write. And I'm just like, no, I could just be like watching TV or watching like a YouTube thing. And then they'll say something and that just triggers me. And then right after I get done with it, I'll just have to go like either write something poem wise or like have an idea for the of story or just anything like that. It just kind of like comes out of that. But if I was sitting still and just reflecting too much, I don't think I would have those same sort of flashes. So it sounds like I'm getting, as you're talking, I'm kind of getting a picture of like an, like a generator, like you generate energy from the energy around you. And when that's still, it's like, oh, it kind of, it stops. <laughs> yeah. I just, I feel like, okay. You know, if, if I have a moment where I think, man, what, I don't have anything to do today. I will, sh- that's when I'll shut down. Like mm-hmm. when I, but when I like get done, you know, getting ready in the morning and I think, okay, I have this, this, and this that I need to do. I'm like instantly at the computer and just kind of mauling away at what I have to do. And, you know, next thing you know, I'm just kind of like moving through the day, you know, whereas if I didn't have that, that's when I'd be in total cocoon mode and I'd just be chilling on the couch and like checking my phone. And when I don't see a message, I'd be like, womp, womp, nobody wants to talk to me. I'm just going to go back to bed. Oh, <laughs> I get, I get I think, sad boy. <laughs> sad boy, right? Yeah. But I think we all have those moments. So I'm glad you're talking about that too, because I mean, it's, I feel like I've gotten to a point in my life where I, I kind of see that as moments we need at times just to mm-hmm. um, kind of recalibrate. But I also yeah. know that 
depression is not a joke and that you know those cocoon moments can last weeks months exactly that's that's the harsh thing is like I just I just know that like I will do like I can have just a week of just like nothingness you know especially in the winter like I'm just you know it might be just that bit of seasonal depression but winter is always just kind of like the hardest time of year for me because I'm just I I get cold like if it's below like 65 I'm cold you know (laughs) and when it's like in the the teens and 20s I'm like dying you know (laughs) gosh that's an interesting thought like how would you thrive or or how would you live differently if you were in like a warmer climate (laughs) that's that's the plan it's just like I get done with this master's program and then I'm just like a California or an Arizona type of place and I just could probably be happy as a clam (laughs) I can imagine I mean because it gets cold over there Uh um what do you hate about creativity you said those moments where you just can't get ideas together properly and it all just feels overwhelming yep so I know for me personally, uh, it's always the, it's funny. Cause like the writing always comes very naturally, but it's actually when it comes to the filmmaking stuff, it's the visuals that just do not connect in my brain for some weird reason. Hmm. Um, so like when I wrote my script, you know, everything in my mind, I sort of imagined almost as if it was on a stage. Mm-hmm. I really, I really could not see like shot angles or ways of like cutting all these different shots it just all kind of played out as like, you know, a bunch of big scenes in my mind. So I found that because of that, like, I really need to sit myself down and like storyboard extensively. Like, so if this film ever kind of gets to a producing point, I'll know that like, I'll have to just every last shot, because if I don't know that when I go on to set, I won't have an idea. Um, So it's really interesting because like, those are the moments that, that where the creativity feels like, it's not happening and it's way too much. So like even sometimes when I think about the steps that are going to need to happen to do the storyboarding, I just get overwhelmed and I have to like change my thought process because I'm just like, man, I envy anybody who could do that because like for whatever reason, I suck so bad <laughs> at just visualizing how shots are going to connect and all that stuff. Well, it just sounds like your brain works in a different way and writing is the key to it. I've heard other writers actually talk like that. Like they say they write in a very visual way, but when it comes to actual visualizing things in their brain, it's super hard. Mm -hmm. So is there a way to storyboard through writing? (laughs) I guess (laughs) I I I like I've come to the conclusion that like even really good directors that are visual it's just really what it comes down to is like having the the correct team of people around you Mm. so like that's why for me like it's so important to have like a solid budget for this production because I'm just like I want a storyboard artist who's going to say hey you know why like I know you're thinking this but like maybe if you did this with the camera it might be cooler and then I'd be like okay awesome you know that's a really great idea So like, I feel like you need that sort of stuff, no matter how kind of like visually kind of sensible you are, because it's just extra voices that can kind of like help elevate the project at the end of the day. That makes sense. And then where is your creativity? My creativity comes from the inspiration from those who I've lost in my life, but it also is just this innate urge deep down that just comes out. Which yeah. I think you've explained pretty well. Um, do you think you'll ever lose that urge? Or do you think it's a life? I, I feel like at this point, it's just, I've crossed that bridge and it's just like, this is just <laughs> it, you know? <laughs> like, it's, you know, I just, like today, I just watched a good documentary about like tattoo artists. And it's like, they say the same sort of stuff where they're just like, this is what I love. And I, you know, meeting all these people and doing this kind of stuff. And that's just, I got that itch and it just will probably never go away. And that's how I feel about this stuff. It's just like, I I feel like as long as I can, and as long as it makes sense for me to continue trying to do it, uh, then that's what I'm going to do, you know, and chasing that ultimate goal of just like being able to create full time and not be, I mean, not be a millionaire. I never went into this thinking, man, I'm going to be a millionaire uh, just being someone who can support like myself, maybe a family at some point and just, just write or direct or whatever that entails. But just as long as I'm like being creative in some way, like to me, that's always just been like the success. So as long as that can like occur at some point, 
I'll be happy. I don't need any kind of like glitz and glamour in my life. <laughs> That's I love I love that answer. Um, but actually, just out of curiosity, if you did have glitz and glamour in your life, <laughs> what would that look like? Would you would you get a mansion? <laughs> I I would I would get like I've always said I'd get like a bungalow on the beach. And I would just, you know, it would be open air and I'd just be able to write, uh, you know, it's sort of like almost like this weird kind of Hemingway-ish fantasy of just like, you know, the Florida Keys where it's just always warm and just it's weird and weird people and all that <laughs> stuff. And I'm just creating and I'm just writing my strange stories and people are just like, yeah, this guy is doing it. He's, he's doing the thing. Um, so that would be like, and that's not even that big a question. I know, that's really... <laughs> <laughs> but like if if I had to reach for anything it would obviously be like if I would get like an Oscar for like directing or writing you know of course that would be like the mega dream yeah um, yeah so nice. that's 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 the furthest for the glitz and glamour I guess <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't want a mansion next to you know like Quentin Tarantino or something like that you know <laughs> like I'm I'm good in my beach bungalow where nobody's bugging me I got my shirt like half out I probably got like a beer belly at that point like it's all good <laughs> just enjoying life writing although imagine <laughs> the conversations you would have with Quentin Tarantino <laughs> like, it'd probably be a lot about feet let's just put it that way <laughs> <laughs> well daniel that's all i have unless there was something else that we didn't go over that you wanted to talk about no this has been really good thank you thank you and of course i'll put your information at the in the description and thank you so much for being on the show of course thank you so much for having me it's been a been a really fun time And that was Daniel Hess. And I absolutely love the way Daniel is honoring his friend through the name of his uh, production company. And again, that is twotonyproductions.com. And that is where you can find Daniel's work as well as on Amazon, his book, Just a Boy Blaming Himself, which is his poetry, is found on Amazon in both paperback form and Kindle. And I hope you enjoyed this conversation. And if you have or are struggling with depression or know of other people struggling with depression, please don't hesitate to reach out and talk to someone, whether it's a therapist or a friend, just to let someone know. You don't have to struggle alone. Uh, and with that, I hope you have a great rest of your week and I will see you next week with a new episode. Thank you. <laughs>